0: Let's get into the Word. If you're taking notes, I want you to go ahead and open up there, and I hope you are because I have a few things that I want you to walk away with tonight. Now, our series obviously is called The Redemption Tour, and as we look at our text tonight, here's my title for you. I want you to write it at the top. The title of the sermon tonight is The Excuses Tour. Amen. Thank you, D. He knows I've been excited about this title. We are stepping aside from redemption for a moment, and we are going on to a new tour tonight. We are taking a new journey, and that is The Excuses Tour. And if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up with me to Exodus chapter 4. Hallelujah. Come on. Amen. Last week was Exodus chapter 3, and tonight we're looking at Exodus chapter 4, and the sermon title is The Excuses Tour. Now, last week, obviously, as Mackenzie referenced, we saw the burning bush, the moment with Moses where God reveals, hey, I am who I am. That's who is sending you to rescue the nation of Israel out of slavery. They're in slavery in Egypt. They're being forced to do hard labor, barefoot. They're being mocked and embarrassed, spit on. The labor is awful. And God now is sending Moses to go and get Israel out of slavery. Let me remind you last week where we parked for a while. God did not choose the 40-year-old Moses who was strong, young, self-confident, self-reliant. God chose the Moses, Haley, who was 80 years old, described by himself, of course, in numbers, as the most humble man on the earth, He was meek, he was weak, and he was not self-reliant at all to the point where, literally, he asked God, who am I to go and do anything for you? Right? That was last week. And God gives him the name, I am who I am. Well, tonight, we're looking at Exodus chapter 4. And understand this very quickly. Moses is going to come with three excuses. I did a little research on excuses, and you're not going to believe some of the things that I found. The New York Post, a couple of years ago, I think in 2021, actually, did a study. They took a poll. Amongst Americans, this is not believers. This is just Americans, and I asked them questions about excuse making, and I love this. This is crazy. This will will blow you away to a certain to a degree. They found that on average, the average American, you and me, we come up with two thousand excuses per year. Ain't that crazy? Here's what that is a day. Are you ready for this? That's six excuses per day. The average American. And if you think about your day today, there's probably a few excuses you can find in there somewhere. In fact, the number one rank excuse, and you, you notice know because we've said it before, the number one rank excuse, Heather, is I'm too tired. <laughs> man, if I haven't heard college students say that. <laughs> and are you tired? Probably a lot of the times for sure. But man, that's the number one excuse Americans use is I'm too tired. Number two and three are I don't have enough money. And then the third one is oh, I'm trying to remember. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time, which usually isn't true. What what you're really saying is, I didn't manage my time well, right? My wife would say, amen, Daniel. (laughs) Take some of your own medicine. That's what we're really saying with excuses. And if we're honest, man, in college, excuses are everywhere. When it comes to schoolwork, man, that's always a better time to respond to a discussion board (laughs) There's always a better time than right now. I talk myself out of responding to discussion boards like it's nothing. If it's due at 11.59, I'm responding at 11.58. I, I don't know what to tell you. I've, yeah, okay, let's not get too off. But yeah, I'm telling you, man, it's crazy. You ever seen the TV show Hoarders? <laughs> Woo, man. Listen, I, if, you know, if you struggle with that, man, I understand. I struggle with it to a certain degree. I was watching a YouTube clip that was from Hoarders where obviously like they, they can't get, get rid of anything. And this, this one guy, man, he had a whole lot of trash in his house. I mean, it was bad. He had trash everywhere. I mean, it was piled up. They asked him this. They said, man, how did it get to this point? They're like, dude, you have, you have chip bags, you have Dorito, Dorito bags, you have uh, soda cans, uh, two liters everywhere, just trash everywhere. And I was like, how did it get this bad? It didn't happen overnight, John. And this is, this is what he said. He said, I just kept on saying to myself, I'll throw it all away tomorrow. Then he said, tomorrow never showed up. I'll tell you, man, making excuses will have you holding on to things you should have done away with a long time ago. Amen? Have you doing away with a lot of things. The easiest person to make excuses to is who? Yourself. Me. Why is that? Why, why, is, why are you the easiest one to tell yourself an excuse to, Cole? I'll tell you why. It's just like Paul talks about in Romans with our flesh. You know better than anybody what your flesh wants to hear. Amen? We're going to get into it tonight. Tell me, I know what my flesh wants to hear. I know how to talk myself into sin or out of sin. I know how because I know my flesh and so do you. One of the things I put down in my introduction that I wanted you to get is this. Excuses lead to procrastination and procrastination leads to failure. It is a path that we walk on in our schoolwork, in our relationships, and most importantly, spiritually we make excuses that lead to procrastination ultimately procrastination is going to lead us to failure now i'm not here to, to to get on you tonight i'm here to preach the word i'm here to encourage you i'm here to exhort you and one of the exhortations i'll give you is when it comes to bible reading and prayer it doesn't matter if you're a 24 year old master student who's been a believer for 12 years or if you're a freshman who's been a believer for two seconds we make a lot of excuses when it comes to reading this do we not Let's be honest, man. I, like, I got one person in the back who's being real with me. Like, can we be real tonight? We make a whole lot of excuses to get out of this, true or false. <laughs> but Listen, hey, I love responses. I love hearing from you. And I know I'm not the only one who excuses myself out of reading the word. And then I wonder why I have a whole lot of problems in my life. It's because I'm not running to God's word. If you want to know why you probably have a lot of problems in your life, look at your Bible reading and your prayer life. If that's struggling, don't be surprised when everything else struggles too. That's real people problems. We don't wake up every single day with a pack of brand new highlighters and fresh coffee to go out on the balcony and just read for an hour. It's a struggle sometimes. We wake up late. We wake up grumpy. We had a rough night before. Work's tough. Coworkers don't encourage us to read the Word at all. It's tough. And what we do is we make excuses out of Bible reading. We make excuses out of prayer. Here's where I want us to really go tonight. If I could tell you my prayers, we look at this with Moses' testimony, God shows us his three excuses in scripture for a reason. And that's for us to learn the excuses he made spiritually and how that impacts us. And so I've got three excuses, and I want you to look with me at Exodus chapter 4 as we pick apart what those are. So starting in verse 1, coming off of the burning bush moment, here's Moses. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Moses answered, What if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say the Lord did not appear to you? So, if you write in your Bible, you write excuse number one, right there. Moses answered, What if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say the Lord did not appear to you? Let's keep going. Uh, Verse 2. The Lord asked him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Verse 3. Throw it on the ground, he said. So Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and Moses ran from it. The Lord told Moses, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. We're going to come back to that in a moment. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. Verse 5, this will take place, he continued, so that they will believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Verse 6, in addition, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak So he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, his hand was diseased, resembling snow. Verse 7, put your hand back inside your cloak, he said. So he put his hand back inside, and when he took it out, it had become like the rest of his skin. If they will not believe you and will not respond to the evidence of the first sign, they may believe the evidence of the second sign. And if they don't even believe these two signs or listen to what you say, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the Nile will become blood on the ground. Verse 10, let's look at excuse number two. Here it is. But Moses replied to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, either in the past or recently, or since you have been speaking to your servant, because my mouth and my tongue, they're sluggish. The Lord said to him, Who placed a mouth on humans? Don't you love that question? (laughs) Ooh, Who placed a mouth on humans as if God didn't know what Moses had going on in his situation? He said, who placed a mouth on humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. Here's the very last excuse, and it's the shortest of them all. Verse 13, Moses said, please, Lord, send someone else. I'll tell you what Moses just said to God. No. Moses just told God straight up, no. You ever been there before? I have. It's a scary place to be. It's an unjoyful place to be. It's a a terrible, terrible place to be. This is the first we see God's anger, his righteous anger. Look at verse 14. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, Isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and also he is on his way now to meet you. He will rejoice when he sees you. You will speak with him and tell him what to say. I will help both of you to speak, and I will teach you both what to do. He will speak to the people for you. He will serve as a mouth for you, and you will serve as God to him. And take this staff in your hand that you will perform the signs with. Now, before I give you point number one, I want to point out something cool to you. I'm telling you, there's just a whole lot of little things in here that, man, we can get off on, but I want to get this to you very quick. The first two signs, right, the snake and the hand, both of them have to deal with one thing. Watch this, because this is really cool. Both of them have to deal with one thing, transformation. God's communicating a lot through these signs. Don't miss this. Transformation with the staff and with his hand, transformation. Here's what happens with both situations. Think about this for a moment. With the staff in his hand, what you have happen is you have something good was made into something evil, and significantly, they were both transformed back again, right? Both signs involve something good being corrupted and then being restored, almost to say redeemed, which is our whole tour. Both things. The staff is turned into a snake, which will bite you, which can be poisonous. turned back to a staff. Remember, we're going to talk about this in a moment. God's going to use this staff when Moses holds it up to part the Red Sea. That is a very good thing he is using here. And then number two, his hand. The fact that God has blessed us with hands and Moses' hand is literally diseased and then God renews it and restores it. God's teaching Moses something here that's incredible and it's symbolic of what Jesus has done on the cross for you and for me. What has happened with you and me is a transformation when we come to know Christ. That quite literally, because of sin, when it entered into the garden, you and I were corrupted. We have now a flesh that is a sinful flesh, and we are living in a fallen world. That's a problem. That's an issue. And then Christ, when he paid for the sins of the world on the cross and rose from the grave, you and me now have the chance at redemption. Quite literally, through God's power, just as he does with the staff and with his hand, God literally, through the cross, takes what is corrupted in this world and renews it and restores it for us. God's communicating redemption to Moses already. A lot of us think the the redemption comes when they make it to the promised land. That's big, but redemption is happening all along the way as they listen and obey God. And the same thing will happen for you. The same thing will happen for you when you stop playing with God and get serious about God. You will find that restoration and that redemption daily that you so desperately need. There is nothing in your life that has been corrupted by sin that God, Jonathan, cannot renew and restore. Nothing. I don't care what addiction it is. I don't care what stronghold it is. Whether it's a hand that is diseased or whether it is a staff that has turned into a venomous serpent, God can transform it and make you into something new. And that's what he shows Moses. when he cha- and I know i got to move on from this. When he changes the staff to a serpent and from that serpent back into a staff, he's teaching Moses that Moses' enemies will fall at Moses' feet if he has God's power. And when he changes his hand from being diseased back to being healthy, remember, Moses murdered, Moses has sinned, Moses has a testimony. And Moses' mind for 40 years, you can imagine, we can speculate, he probably thought about that sin that he had committed, that murder that he committed. And God's teaching that, hey, it doesn't matter what sin you have in your past. When you come to me, there is renewal, there is restoration, and there is transformation that can happen. So I don't know what's in your past, but I promise you this, when you repent of it and come to Jesus, there is transformation that happens immediately. And that's exactly what God is showing through this sign. Now let me give you excuse number one. This will be on the screen. I hope that you will write this down. Excuse number one is this. They won't believe me. They won't listen. The very first thing Moses says to God is that they won't believe me. They won't listen. And at its core, this is Moses afraid of people's rejection. Moses is still nervous. Even after seeing the burning bush Even after hearing God speak, Moses is still afraid. And I have an honest question for you. Have you ever been afraid to do what God is calling you to do? Yeah, have you ever been afraid? I have. See, Moses is afraid of what God is going to call him to do. Moses is in fear. All of us know what that feeling of fear is like it's paralyzing, isn't it? I don't know if public speaking is your thing. Whenever you got to go and give a speech and you hate public speaking, boy, that fear will take over, will it not? (laughs) Boy, for introverts, when you go into a room like this sometimes, (laughs) I'm an introvert. I understand. It's nerve-wracking. Before a big game, if you're an athlete, man, the nerves start creeping up and that fear creeps in. You start thinking about all these what-if scenarios. Listen, it's crazy because fear is paralyzing. Fear will put chains on you that aren't even there. Fear will paralyze you. Man, I'll tell you, last week, one of the worst things happened to me. It was on Monday. One of the worst things happened to me that probably has ever happened to me. This was brutal. This was terrible. I am literally still recovering from it. I got my finger closed in a door. Bro, it's nasty. The West Lobby doors that are 10 10 feet deep. Them doors, if you try to open them to come in, you understand, man, it's bad. I was trying to hang a banner, a dang photo booth banner, so y'all could take some cool pictures last week, and I was going up at the top of the door, and my finger, man, it got caught in the door, and I, the cameras might be able to zoom in on it. I'll let you see if, if you can, if they can get close enough on it, because it's a little, I'm putting them on the spot. It's a little black. It's a little blue. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Woo. That's it right there. <sighs> I didn't even like showing you guys. man. When I tell you the pain was so bad, (laughs) like there were people around and I had to walk away (laughs) because I was in agony. Here's what happened. The worst part of it was when my finger got caught up in the door. I panicked, which is like the last thing you want to do in the situation, right? You got to stay cool. You got to stay calm. Well, I couldn't. My finger's being crushed. All right, I didn't have many options, and it gets caught up there, and. I freak out. And as I freak out, this is a nasty part. I accidentally kick the door <laughs> onto my finger. And bro, the pain was so bad. I ain't gonna lie to you. I have still been recovering from it, bro. The pain was so bad. It was so bad. And when I realized, here's what's crazy. When I realized my finger was stuck, I was paralyzed. Like fear took over. I froze. What I was supposed to do Just grab the door handle and open it. I'll tell you this, the fear took all logic out the door. I just started screaming. I went, oh! (laughs) I knew what I was supposed to do. But looking at the fear and the shock of my finger getting stuck in this moment, that logic went out the window. And I did not, for a moment, do what I was supposed to do. And I was literally just sitting there with my finger caught in this door. That's the power of fear firsthand, physically, spiritually, whatever it is, fear will have you paralyzed where you know what to do. Grab the door handle, free your finger, but you will literally be stuck there. Can I tell you something? It's a stupid illustration, but I'll tell you this. Some of you have been stuck like that spiritually for a long time, for a long time. For me, I was stuck there for a moment. Some of you guys have been stuck in fear when it comes to evangelism for years, years. Some of you, when it comes to following God and obeying him, you're so worried about the what if situations that you're saying exactly what Moses is excuses after excuses after excuses. And you find yourself paralyzed and you find yourself in a place where you cannot move and you're just stuck. All I got to do is act, grab the door handle, open it up, free my finger. I'm so in fear and so shook I don't move. And that's why I want to tell you you cannot be paralyzed in fear and planted in faith at the same time. It's either or. You cannot find yourself paralyzed in fear and planted in faith at the same time. It's either or. You are either paralyzed in fear in your call or you are planted in faith. Moses comes to a point where he's in fear. and In fact, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8, one of the most famous chapters in Romans. In Romans 8, starting in verse 15, it says this. For you, Paul says, did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into what? I appreciate the 10 people to help me out there. We'll try one more time. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into? Fear. Fear. A real thing that every single one of us in this room walks through, especially in our call. Instead, Paul says, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. I'll tell you that Moses is making excuses because it's not easy to do what God has called us to do sometimes. Well, let's be real honest. It's easy to not be afraid when God's calling is something we want to do, Right? It's easy to not be afraid. It's a whole lot different when he calls us to do something we don't want to do, like lead a nation out of slavery. (sighs) Moses is like, hey, I, I don't think I'm the guy for this. It's easy to be afraid when God calls us to change our major and our career path when we know we're pursuing something that God doesn't have for us. It's a whole lot harder to not be afraid in those situations. It's See, it's hard to not be afraid when God calls us to forgive somebody who wronged us in our past or forgive ourselves for the sins that he has forgiven us for. It's it's easy to fall into fear in those situations. Fear is tempting. And what I love about Scripture is Scripture doesn't play any games when it comes to fear. You know, the Bible says run from lust, rightfully so. It says run. You know what the Bible says about fear? Fear don't. That's what the Bible says about fear. It's all over the place. In fact, my life verse that I have committed to is Isaiah 41.10. It says it twice. God says, do not fear, for I am with you. Don't be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God has not called us to operate in fear, and he has not called you to operate in fear. But as long as you continue to bow and worship to your fears, you will never find yourself bowed and worshiping to the Lord. Your fears will always take over. So what's God calling you to do? I can tell you, for some of you, man, it's to share the gospel. It's literally for you to get out of your own way and go tell somebody that you're a believer, somebody at your workplace that you know is living in sin because they talk about it all the time. In fact, they brag about it. Let's be real. God might be calling you to go tell that person that's bragging about their sinful life about the name of Jesus. And that's hard to do. That's not easy. And we know God calls us to go and share the gospel and to make disciples. But don't forget Moses' excuse. What he says is, what if they won't listen? What if they won't believe me? He's thinking about Pharaoh. He's thinking about the nation of Israel. Which at first, man, sounds like a reasonable excuse. But it's not. Because literally, I'll show you, God said in Exodus chapter three, right before this, We read it last week. This is what God said word for word in verse 18. He says this. He says, they will listen to what you say. (laughs) We read it and we miss it all the time. Moses says, what if they won't listen? God said in Exodus 3.18, they will listen. So let me tell you something. God isn't actually asking. Moses isn't actually asking God, what if they won't listen? You know what Moses is asking God? What if you're wrong? What if you're wrong? I've made some dumb decisions in my life. I've asked some stupid questions. But to even put this sentence together is a contradiction. What if you are wrong, God? (laughs) Moses is doubting a promise from God, even though God has provided all that he needs. A burning bush, his own voice, and a promise. And let me tell you something. Every single one of you guys have what you need to believe in Jesus Christ and to trust the call that God has for your life. It's time for you and me to stop living in fear and time for us to stop doubting our call. God wants to use you if you'll get out of your own way and let him. That's why I'll tell you a great truth about this passage. Moses doesn't lack evidence of God's call. He lacks acceptance of God's call. He has all he needs. All the evidence Moses just won't accept it. The same way with you and me. Often we know God's call, but we act like we don't know God's call because we don't really want to do what God's call is. And the logic is maybe if we reject God long enough, he'll stop calling. I got a newsflash. God knows your number. (laughs) Listen, our God is a consistent God. Amen. God knows your number. He's going to call. You don't have any reason to be afraid. Psalm 33 verse 11 says this, The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Are the excuses you're making coming from a place of doubting God's promises in your life? And for some of us, it's the rejection of people. For some of us were so afraid of being rejected by other people. We're so afraid of, of what other people would think of us. Or if we step out and really start living for God, what other people would say, what people in our friend group would say. We're so afraid of what people would say. That's why I love what Paul says in Galatians 1.10. He says, for am I trying to persuade people or God? Am I striving to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. The people you're so worried about, the people you're so worried about rejecting you so much that it leads you to not obeying God. Can I tell you, those people will never care about you the way God cares about you. Do you understand? Do I understand? The people were so worried what they think about us. And whether we might face persecution for living out our faith, they have never and will never love you the way God loves you. They didn't die on the cross for your sins. They didn't rise from the dead for you to have redemption. Only one person has done that, and it's the name and the person of Jesus Christ. So if you are so worried about being rejected, I got news for you. You can rejoice when you are rejected because you can identify with Jesus Christ who is rejected by all. Why are we so afraid of rejection? God bless you. There's so many of us in this room who want to go out there and live on fire for Christ and be serious about this thing and stop playing games with the Bible and stop playing games about prayer and start telling people about Jesus. Jesus. One of the things that the pastor said yesterday here at Bellevue, he said, a lot of us here in the South have 10 times the Bible knowledge anybody else does out there, yet our lives don't look 10 times better. Why is that? We got it all here, but we don't take it out there and live it out because we're afraid of people rejecting us. If we really believe this whole thing's true, when are we going to stop caring what people say about us out in this world? Their opinion is just like the weather. It's going to change and it's out of your control anyway. I don't know who has you all worked up tonight, but God does. And when you come to him and say, God, I've been worked up, I've been tight, I've been worried about people's opinions of me, I've been worried about being rejected, I've been one foot in and one foot out with you, I ain't really been two feet in with you, God. I want to be two feet in with you. God bless you. When he comes to you, guess what? You walk to him, he takes those imaginary chains off your body And you begin living free. You begin again experiencing the Christian life that you and I were meant to experience. Or you can keep on living for the opinions of people. And I'll just tell you, I'm not trying to get on you. I go through the same stuff you are. But I'll just tell you, you're 18 to 25 years old. Do you really want to be 32 years old still living for the opinions of people? Do you really want to have a family one day, trying to raise them up in how to follow the Lord, still chasing after some of the things you're chasing after right now? And man, that's a big thing. We're talking about your future family. We're talking about your future kids. Some of y'all are like, Daniel, I'm just trying to make it through the summer. (laughs) What you are doing now, between 18 to 24 years old, are some of the most pivotal blocks you are placing in your life. Are you placing blocks of confidence in Christ? Or are you placing blocks of excuses to Christ? I don't know what it is for you, but I need to keep moving. Moses is afraid of the rejection of people. And where it has gotten him is making excuses to God. Not only that, but number two, the second excuse Moses makes. Moses says, I'm not enough. I have too many weaknesses. Parentheses, fear of personal failure. I'm going to turn you to Exodus once you write that down. The second excuse he makes is I'm not enough, I have too many weaknesses, and I am living for the fear of personal failure. This comes, look with me at verse 10. Moses replied to the Lord, please Lord, I've never been eloquent either in the past or recently, which is not true, or since you have been speaking to your servant because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. Man, I'll tell you, for anybody who has ever doubted themselves, this is a great text for you. I mean, when I first started coaching high school basketball, man, I doubted myself all the time. I was young. I was trying to prove myself to 17-, 18-year-old basketball players who were really good. And I was 20 years old, 21 years old. I was was in environments that were challenging and uncomfortable for me. And I felt like I needed to prove myself. And, man, I never felt like I would add up, that I would be enough. And what that did is that had me trying to prove myself to myself, and I could never do it. I would always fail. See, God's not calling you to live that way. God knows the weaknesses that you have. He knows your mouth because he gave you your mouth. He knows your eyes because he gave you your eyes. God is aware. When Moses talks about his speech, first off, it's not true because it says 40 years earlier when he was in his prime, if you will, that his speech had no issues. But here Moses comes and he says, man, I am insecure about my words and my mouth and my language and how I can speak and the language here. And and Moses is trying to cop out of it. And what I love when studying this text is how God deals with it, Caleb. God asks a question, as God often does. He's good at asking questions he already knows the answer to. Michelle, he asks Moses this. He says, what's in your hand? And Moses, of course, what does he have in his hand? He has a staff. Now this staff has been with Moses for a long time. For 40 years, he's been shepherding sheep. For 40 years, remember, from age 40 to age 80, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. And he asks Moses what's in his hand. Now, I'm telling you guys, don't miss this because this has been so encouraging to me. What I love about this staff that Moses has, God is about to instill confidence in Moses through this staff. Here's why I love this so much, because it's so simple, but we miss it every time we read this. God gives Moses confidence, not through something new, but through something Moses already had. For Moses, he didn't have to go get something new from God. God had already given him what he needed to fulfill his call. Moses had to give God what he already owned. What Moses showed up with is what God is going to use. See, Moses, shepherding those sheep for 40 years, he used that staff to lead those sheep. And God is encouraging Moses that those 40 years was not wasted time, it was training time. That all that time you were out there with those sheep leading them, what I'm going to have you do now is I'm going to have you lead a nation. God bless you. And God uses what Moses already has. And then what I love is when it goes on the ground, he tells Moses to grab the staff from the tail, the snake from the tail, which is by far the most dangerous place to grab a snake. And when Moses reached out in faith and grabs the tail of the snake, it turns back to a what? A staff. Remember, God uses this staff to part the Red Sea, to win battles, to provide water from the rock. God uses what Moses already had in his possession He uses a miracle of it. What has God placed in your hands? Your lack of confidence to obey God and to live for him? Chances are he has already given you in your possession what you need to serve him. For some of you, man, you have the gift of encouragement. Do you use encouragement to glorify God or to glorify yourself? Some of you have the gift of teaching. Some of you have the gift of of so many different things. And he has put in your possession what you need. The question is, are you using it for your glory or for his glory? And what happens oftentimes is we we make excuses to God. We know that we have the Holy Spirit living in us, that we as believers have his spirit living in us, providing us with wisdom and direction and guidance. But we get so caught up in our fears and our worries and our excuses that we stop using the gifts that he has given us to bring glory to his name. God has put his spirit in you if you are a believer. The question is, when are you going to start living with that kind of confidence? God points Moses back to what he's been doing for 40 years. Through all that time leading those sheep, now you are going to lead my people out of slavery. I tell you, it's not about your weaknesses because it's not really about you anyways. And man, this is a harsh wake-up call for some of us, myself included, but here it is. It's not about how Moses can or can't speak because it's not about Moses. Do you understand that? This does not have to do with Moses. And all Moses can do is make it about him. Understand, God wants to use you. It's not because he needs your qualities on his team. (laughs) He wants to use me not because he needs my qualities on his team. He wants to use me so that I can come to know him better and so that his kingdom can be glorified. It's not about your weaknesses because it's not about you anyways. It's not about what people think about you because it's not about you anyways. It's not about what you're afraid of because it's not about you anyways. It's not about what you can or can't do. It's not even about what you want or don't want to do. It is about what God is desiring to do through you. The question is, are you living for that or are you living for whatever you want to do with your life? Because I can tell you something. God's plan is always bigger. It's always better. It's always, always better. I love 1 Corinthians, and it says this in talking about our weaknesses. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31, it'll be on the screen. It says, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as literally nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, our sanctification, and redemption, in order that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. All God's people said, amen. amen. Man, you know God wants to use you. <laughs> Man, you know God wants to use you. God doesn't need Moses, but he sure does want to use Moses to do a miracle, to rescue a nation from slavery. Let me ask him, if God can use a staff to part a sea to lead a nation out of slavery, if God can use a wooden cross through Jesus Christ to free the world from the chains of sin, what in the world can God do with what you have? It's not about you going and getting something else from God. It's about you surrendering up what you already have to God. It's not about us getting. It's about us giving because the more we give to God, the more we will always get. God wants to use you. But not for your glory. In ministry out in the world, not for your glory, but he will use you for his glory. The last excuse Moses makes, and it's most terrifying... Number three, his excuse is no. Moses, at the end of the day, shows his heart that he was simply unwilling. Moses didn't want to. Moses didn't want to go. He talked about it with his speech, that one true. God reaffirms him that, hey, your staff turns right back from a stake to a staff. You can have confidence as you leave. What about that? At the end of the day, Moses just doesn't want to do what God is asking him to do. Every single one of us have been there at one point in our life. Some of us are there tonight. That's why I love this text because every excuse we can relate with at some point, but some of us are just saying no to God. That's the whole reason God brought you here to the view. For some of you, I don't know who I'm speaking to, but some of you In one area or in all of your life, you are just saying no to God. God got you in the door through volleyball so that you can hear. As long as you say no to God, you're never going to find that joy and peace you're looking for. But the minute you say yes, you find all that you need in Christ and so much more. Has God been good to anybody in this room? (laughs) When will you put your yes on the table? Moses, at the end of it, just says, Lord, send somebody else. I don't want to do it. I don't want to. And God's trying to get Moses to see, Moses, it's not about you. I'm going to bring my kingdom down to this earth through you if you'll obey, if you'll listen. You know, what I love is it didn't say that God was angry when Moses asked, who am I? It didn't show that God was angry when Moses doubted his promise. But when Moses just said no, when Moses was simply unwilling Verse 14 says, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. When you place your yes on the table, God will do so much with it. But if you keep saying no, you're going to miss out on what God has. And I believe right here in this room right now, some of us need to drive a stake in the ground and say, I'm Not saying no to the Lord anymore. I'm putting my yes on the table. No more excuses. I'm getting off the excuses tour. When it comes to that certain sin you continue to deal with, I'm getting off the excuses tour. I am getting on the redemption tour. I am repenting of it. I am coming to God for it, and I am finding hope. I am not living on this train of excuses no more. The train has pulled in. It's time to exit. (laughs) No more excuses.